Hello, and welcome to Relational Conversations, a podcast where we talk about relationships, communication, and the way those things are intertwined. It's also the official meta-relating podcast. My name is Michael Porcelli, the founder of Meta-Relating, and I'm joined today by my partner at Meta-Relating, Melody Markell. Hi, everybody. And this is our initial welcome episode where we're going to introduce the podcast, the kind of things we want to talk about here in future episodes, our company, our set of practices we call Meta-Relating, and a little bit about each other so you can get to know us and hear about why we're doing this and why we're into this and we'll go from there. Sounds great. Let's start with what meta-relating is. Meta-relating is an approach to relational communication, which just means a way of talking about relationships. And we believe and we've seen that improving at your ability to communicate in this way improves the quality of your relationships across the board, at home, at work, personal life, professional life. And we think these skills can be learned. You're not just sort of stuck with wherever you're at. And if you experience certain kind of repeated frustrations with how things go, or you notice sort of patterns and how your relationships go that maybe you'd like to have go differently, go better conflict and how you work with that as just a prime example, mm-hmm. meta relating can help. Sounds great. Sign me up. Like when we, we actually talk about, how the communication practices work. How do I resolve an interpersonal tension with somebody? It's like, oh, well, part of this is me being aware of that I have attention, me being aware of the feelings that I'm feeling and being able to articulate the feelings and express them with words and with body language, me being able to share like the thoughts and the beliefs that I'm having about the situation. Right. Part of growth and development requires some degree of self-understanding and you know in in psychology there's this thing called metacognition which is you know your ability to be aware of your own internal experience your own internal process some people are really good at metacognition and some people have to really learn it but but i would say you know one of the things that makes meta relating uh meta is to do it well you do have to have some amount of metacognition. Right. And you can actually develop metacognition through a practice like meta-relating as well. Like they kind of feed off of each other. But mm-hmm. I, I do know it was, there was huge blind spots in my own awareness of my own processes that I had before I, I started practicing some of these relational things. Oh, yeah. Me too. I had a conversation with a friend a few days ago where she was relating with me in a way that was hurting my feelings a little bit. And I was also relating with her in a way that was hurting her feelings a little bit. And we didn't know that until Mm -hmm. I said, Hey, I think this thing is happening here. Mm -hmm. And we were able to discover that it's because we grew up very differently. I grew up nomadically and had kind of a very Jewish mother and she grew up in Louisiana where there were a lot of women and telling stories and just very, very different, a very different way Mm. of learning from a young age. How do I communicate with the world? Same country, same age. And yet now in our thirties, we needed to have a relational conversation so that we could actually communicate more effectively with each other. Yeah. I mean, this really comes down to no two people are perfectly identical. Even identical twins like have f- for as many spooky things that are similar about identical twins, they are their own 
persons. Even brothers and sisters have a vastly different recollection of what it was like to grow up in their family system. Same family system. Yeah, that's what makes life interesting, right? Life is interesting. Like if we were just clones, it would just be... But we'd be perfectly predictable. We'd be perfectly uninteresting to each other. And there wouldn't be any of like the spice of life that comes from relationships. And so like this, this idea that it's, you know, it just comes down to the fact that people are unique and different. And we really have not learned relational communication very well. Uh, School doesn't certainly doesn't focus on teaching that or most typical schools don't. And that is going to be the source of tension. Give me the person you get along with the best or you've known the longest or you feel the closest to whoever this is. No matter how long, you know, how good you're in with each other, how much that relationship means to you, inevitably there are going to be moments where you're going to have tension. You're going to have some important difference. And sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small, like a little tiff. Sometimes it seems like a more significant kind of divergence or difference in values, whatever it is going to happen sooner or later and the question is like how well do you navigate that and that is something that is you know it's universal it's just about differences of people from wherever they arise everybody grows up in a different culture all the time yeah yeah well let's talk a little bit about more about why meta i mean it's a funny term i think there's a number of different senses in which we mean this term we did this first one which was metacognition, like being aware of yourself and your internal process and being able to reveal it and communicate it and convey it. And another one is this, you know, sometimes this term, uh, like a little phrase we would say, like speaking the moment, like in our practices, you know, with each other. And that's not just meta about yourself. That's being able to like speaking the moment is like, Hey, I think this is going on between us, or it seems like something like this is happening. It's being able to essentially pause whatever the current thread of conversation is and then say something that, you know, sometimes it's like the elephant in the room, but sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. It's just like something that like seems like is going on and nobody's really putting words to it. And then you're kind of like putting words to it. You're communicating about, something that is happening between you that hasn't yet been verbalized. Right. Yeah. Like this idea of going meta, it's it's a little bit like taking the bird's eye view of the conversation rather than mm-hmm. just being in the conversation and the content of it. It's, it's a moment of saying, Hey, wait a second, let's, let's pause. Let's look at it almost from above and see what's actually happening here. What's going on in our dynamic or what are we missing or how can we do this better or wait, I said a thing a minute ago, how did that land for you? Because I'm not sure and I want to know, right? There's all these different things that can happen when we're actually willing and able to speak the moment like you're saying. Right. And when that happens, all kinds of possibility open up. Sometimes you'd be like, oh yeah, that thread we were just talking about was boring for both of us, but we didn't realize it. So let's just do something else. Uh, Sometimes it can really enliven a situation. I can think of, sometimes it's like calling myself out. It could be like, um, Oh, I'm noticing I'm like talking a lot and I feel really enthusiastic. And I think what's kind of going on here is like, I'm, I'm trying to make a really good impression, but then I'm like not giving you enough space. And now I want to, I'm getting tired of myself hearing myself talk and I want, I want to hear you say something, you know, it could be something like that. Um, sometimes I'll be like, I'll just notice 
something going on with the person's face. Like they maybe they seem distracted or preoccupied or I said something and then, yeah. and then I'm, I'm like, Oh, maybe you had, is that a feeling or like, Hey, did was, maybe you're not liking something I just said, but I don't know what it is. I'm curious, right? Like there is something connected to, you know, speaking the moment and natural curiosity or, you know, just wanting to know what's really going on here. You know, that feels sometimes risky sometimes exciting, mm-hmm. feels vulnerable, can feel vulnerable. It may take some courage to do it. Yeah. Yeah. When I think of that, something it reminds me of is when somebody isn't necessarily being congruent, meaning a common one is if they say, I'm fine, mm-hmm. but they're saying it really grumbly and kind of angry. I'm fine. Yeah. And that's not very congruent. And mm-hmm. I have a choice in that moment of just taking them at their word that I don't really believe and if mm-hmm. I care about this person, I actually would, would want them to actually be fine. So maybe instead of just taking them at their word, I check in on it. I go meta. I say, hey, I notice you said you're fine and mm-hmm. maybe you are. And, and if you are, great. But I am wondering if that's really true. Right. <laughs> and if you're really familiar with each other, you'd be like, you don't, you don't seem, seem fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> seem a little angry right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so many places. I mean, you know, I, I'm imagining like, a, you know, how many people have gone like on a an, an app arranged date, right? Like, oh, let's meet up and do a thing. And then it just kind of goes badly. I mean, maybe not like in a horrible way, but it's just kind of like, wow, this is just kind of uncomfortable. We're definitely not clicking. This is very awkward. The conversation is stilted. Right. And then, okay, thank you very much. Have a good night. And then, but imagine if how it could have maybe gone different if somebody said, wow, this is just really awkward. And I'm not sure this is going to really go anywhere, but, you know, let's make the most of this for what it is. You know, there's, there's ways you can take whatever that tension is that maybe is in the background or between you and like actually like amplify it by putting words to it in a way. And having it like almost like pop like a bubble or something. Yeah, you know? I think I did that on a date a long time ago. <laughs> and I said, hey, I notice I'm not really enjoying my time with you. Are you enjoying your time here? And he was like, not really. Mm-hmm. I was like, great. Do you want to keep doing this or do you want to just go our separate ways? And he was like, let's just go our separate ways. And it was great. I didn't have to spend an extra <laughs> hour great. with him because I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So this ability, you know, to be able to speak the moment or put words like what's happening in the here and now, it's not all of what meta relating is, but it is really core to like, it's a skill that you can use. uh, And it really creates possibilities in a circumstance or situation, creates opportunities to like make different choices or to create something different together or actually find a pathway. Like, Hey, it seems like we were trying to go this way together, but that's not working. But is there another way this could go together? Right. Like, or maybe it's actually like take a step back and let's just not waste each other's time and go home or something, you know, like let's do something else or do it some other time. Yeah. I do want to highlight something you just spoke to, which is that it's a skill. Yeah. I want to highlight that underline that exclamation point that because I've also seen people do it in ways that seem rude and hurtful and there's an art to it. It's a skill. So like there's a sense 
in which meta-relating is a meta-skill, Melody, and I know you've pointed this out in our conversations before, and I want you to talk about it a little bit more right sure, now. Sure, I can do that. So this idea that there's there are different types of skills, there, are, and specifically there are two types of skills in this context. There are meta-skills and there are specific skills. And specific mm-hmm. skills are skills that aren't necessarily transferable to other domains. So, for example, um, if I'm a dancer, dancing, one could argue, is a specific skill. If I'm good at dancing, that's what I'm good at, dancing. But if I teach dance, and I'm really good at teaching dancing, then actually that's a meta skill. Because if I'm good at teaching dance, I'm probably just good at teaching in general, any other skill that I might have, any other specific skill I might have, I'm probably really good at explaining it and getting my students on the same page and, you know, all, all of what goes into teaching, which is different than the specific skill of dancing, even if that's the thing that I am teaching in the moment. Right, right. It has to do with how generalizable mm-hmm. it is or how transferable it is into different right. contexts. Right, and so meta-relating here we are marketing it to professionals and organizations. And like we said at the beginning of this podcast, that that's an effective way to, to make a difference in the world, to up-level our culture more generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's so applicable across the board. I use meta-relating or versions of it just from my own background that we've already, we've already spoken to. Every single day, every day, whether the person that I'm talking with knows that I'm using this meta skill or not. I've been working with these types of things for so long that I am pretty good, I would say, at weaving it into kind of normal everyday conversation. Mm -hmm. But it is, it's so helpful for everything. And when my boyfriend and I are having an argument and it's not going anywhere, I will say to him, can we do meta-relating now instead of what we were just doing for the past hour because we need help and meta-relating will help us. And that's mm-hmm. obviously not a business relationship. Right. There, there are a lot of things, I think, under the larger umbrella of meta-skills that people commonly encounter in the world of personal growth and development or even professional growth and development in places um, or coaching, right? Therapy, these kinds of things. And and there are like some of these things that are just kind of common, you know, like if, if you're able to, you know, develop new habits effectively, or if you're able to manage your to-do list and your calendar really well, right? Like it's like, well, it kind of doesn't matter what job you're at, like being able to do that really well, right? So you get more done is a meta skill that transfers rather than just whatever this particular skills of the job you're at. If you're a really great writer, that's also kind of a meta mm-hmm. skill because you, if you're able to write about a lot of things, you know, you can transfer that across a lot of different domains. And, and uh, there is a way that relational communication is itself a meta skill because it applies across lots of different domains. And even in this communication domain, you know, this is maybe a, a another sense that I'll sometimes use when I'm explaining meta-relating to somebody is like, uh-huh. well, there's a lot of specific kind of communication. People talk about leadership or conflict resolution or, you know, communication practices that are really good in an intimate partnership or getting really good at negotiating, you know, like these different communication 
domains that are very specific to certain kinds of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think they all have in common is what I call like the relational core. And the relational core is any time the conversation is addressing how things have been going, right? What, what is the impact of our words and interactions on each other? And how would we like things to go in the future? You basically are having a relational conversation. Now, in these specific areas like, you know, how to be a greater public speaker or leader or mediator, those are sometimes become very... Uh, specifically targeted skills. But I would say if you get good at relational communication, you will be generally better at all of these other kinds of communication skills, wherever the communication has an element where you're addressing the nature of the relationship, right? right? Like when, when two business people sit down and and talk about like, well, what kind of agreement or what kind of contract do we want to make between our, two businesses here, right? They're, they're defining the relationship in a way, right? What sort of relationship is this going to be? Right. So that's our big idea. You can learn relational communication specifically. And because of its meta nature, it will immediately transfer across all these domains uh, where relational communication is a crucial element of what's going on yeah and one other thing that i really want to highlight about meta relating is that it's a systematic approach Mm -hmm. it's not amorphous it's not woo woo it's not hey let's figure this thing out and see what spaghetti sticks on the wall it's not like that it's really beautifully designed Mm -hmm. i would say and i that is not me bragging because i'm not the one who designed it Thanks, Melody. It's it's very simple in a certain sense. It's not necessarily easy. Sometimes it's confronting or requires us to learn a new skill, which for adults, sometimes we don't like learning new skills. It's not as easy as when we were kids to pick something up new. But it is very simple. Mm-hmm. There are steps. There are processes. It's easy to follow along. We make it pretty clear so that you don't fumble the ball. Right. And that, you know, that took a long time to develop, right? You're you're sort of specifically speaking to, um, you know, the, the aspects of meta relating that are like interpersonal communication protocols. And this, this comes partly from my own background as uh, a real math science nerd. My, my first career was as an engineer, computer programmer, software engineer. And um, on the one hand, you know, I think this was you know, part of my background story is like why I kind of needed it. Cause like there were so many ways in which I was not able to pick up on social cues or, you know, social situations would become awkward or difficult or confusing in ways that didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. It was just like, Hey, people are laughing and right. I don't know what the joke is, you know, like I'm kind of oblivious to the impact I'm, I'm having on other people. But yeah, like there is, there is something that, you know, in my, in my struggle to kind of figure this out, I, I observed pretty, pretty closely some folks, folks who taught me circling and authentic relating specifically 
where I use this kind of part of my brain, this kind of like sciencey nerd part of my brain to really observe them carefully and to try to model them. And to some degree, they had enough metacognition to describe some of what they were doing and how they were doing it. Mm-hmm. And at, at some level, you know, I realized, oh, they're just kind of like doing some things that are like, they're not aware of what they are. They don't really know how to teach me how to do that. I have to kind of figure it out. I sort of have to like, like distill yeah. it down, you know, and turn it into a system. And I had to kind of watched these folks who were just very masterful facilitators and communicators and model them and try to essentially like distill it down into reproducible protocols, right? Like to encode it in a way. Right. And I would say that even before the protocols, and that is, that is kind of what we're getting to in meta relating. What we eventually want to get to is having ease and facility around these protocols that we have. But even before Mm -hmm. that, we have other things too. We have capacities, we have, signals right we have a whole communication model people can sink their teeth into their mind can like yes grasp yes you know right that even even without the protocols even if you did everything else in meta-relating besides the protocols i think you would still become a much better communicator yeah and and i think it really suits certain people of of a certain learning style you know we're, we're trying to not just focus on one learning style here but but several but there are some folks and, I, and I'm one of them, like, you know, my, one of the ways that I like to learn is like my mind really likes to grasp things. And, you know, when I think of my, my origin story, I suppose, like folks would try to be helpful, you know, I would be like, I don't get it. Okay. Somehow people end up in intimate relationships, but that's never happened for me. So I don't understand how you get from point mm-hmm. A to point B. You know, and like I would get this kind of advice, you know, like to be yourself or be confident. And I'm like, yeah, but myself does not feel confident. So, not good advice. Like an either or choice. <laughs> this is not good advice. Or, you know, just say, you know, you just got to feel it or, you know, you'll figure it out. Or, you know, maybe people being a little bit mean or, hey, man, if you have to ask, you're just not getting it. Right. And I'm like, well, I already know I'm not getting yeah, it. Help right. Me. Like, I'm trying to figure out how to get it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And all the help I would get would be not not that mm-hmm. good. You know, it, it's it's a trippy thing. And, you know, it, to some degree, I think this is also because people out there don't really have a lot of metacognition about their own social skills, because a lot of it does kind of get picked up almost like automatically. And they don't have a lot of self-awareness. And in a way, like I didn't have a lot of self-awareness either. Right. I was a very emotional and expressive kid. Um, you know, coming from a really touchy feely home life and, but in a way I had no awareness of what I was feeling. Like the metacognition was, was basically missing. So I was really oblivious in a lot of ways to the impact I was having on other people. And like when things, you know, would be like, I really want things to go in a certain way. And when they wouldn't, I would just be like, I don't really get it. Like what, what's missing here? Like, what am I doing wrong? Right. And it was very hard for me to see. And like the, you know, sometimes, you know, I just needed to just fling myself into a circumstance or situation and fumble around and try to like, see what I would learn. And that's one way of learning. And I learned in that way. Um, but also, you know, another way that I learned was 
just like nonviolent communication, right? That's a very systematic thing. And meta relating in, in its own way is a very systematic thing. And there, there is a certain set of capabilities that, that are unlocked for a segment of the population when it's like, when it is spelled out in a step-by-step detail, it's like, okay, you've put this into terms that I can learn. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and eventually, you know, once you've done it a lot, like the, it becomes like second nature and you kind of have like that flow state. Oh, you develop new habits of communicating. And then it's like, oh, well, I'm not like following the step-by-step procedure anymore, but I'm like naturally kind of doing it. You know, that's a little bit like doing drills for sports and then going out and actually playing right. the sports on the field. Right. Like you, yeah, that sort of thing. We've got drills, right? We've got really laid out ways for people to to we learn do. it. Which I think is really important because as you mentioned earlier, we don't learn this stuff necessarily otherwise. It's not really taught in schools. And right. I think that the places where typically, at least in our culture, you know, modern day America, where we learn a lot of our relational skills and not, I wouldn't even necessarily say skills, but our relational habits, let's say, I would say it's through two things, through our parents and our upbringing. Mm -hmm. And our parents were not necessarily doing a great job with this particular thing. I think our parents in a certain sense did an amazing Mm -hmm. job in that they did the best that they could. And I'm alive and I know some really cool stuff that my parents taught me and I love my parents. Yeah. And they definitely didn't teach me how to have a, an effective relational conversation. That's definitely not what was happening when my parents were going through a very messy divorce. This is not, right. was not picking up on how can we do this in a healthy way? There, there wasn't any of that. And I don't fault them for it, but I also didn't learn what I now know from them. So that's one. Mm-hmm. And then the other one uh, is television. I don't know how much people talk about this. It's something that I started noticing a few years ago and I feel somewhat passionate about it, that we really absorb media in a way that I don't think is necessarily healthy. Mm-hmm. I think media is intended to be something that entertains us, television, movies, etc. And I think many of us are entertained by them. I know I love a good TV show probably more than the next person. But what ends up happening is that because we hear the way that these characters are speaking, it ends up that they, they model for us what, what communication looks like when really that's not a real scenario. That's a made up person on a made up storyline. Right. And yet I even, I notice myself, I'll repeat things that I've heard on television and they're not healthy things to say it. They're like passive aggressive or they're sliding, or they're just like dumb in a certain kind of sense. And I think that we can do a lot better than that, but it really does take something. It really does take some initiative of wanting to do better than that. Right. Yeah. Our entertainment is not scripted to make us better people necessarily or better communicators. It's scripted for other reasons, right? Like to command yeah. our attention <laughs> to the drama, right? To get us into like, he sort of, all you need to do is like watch reality TV shows enough to, you know, garbage TV basically like to feel it's like, there is a thing, right? It's like, like, um, like I know I feel when I have, when I have done it, sometimes I feel like, oh wow, I can't look away, but like, I don't feel mm-hmm. 
good, right? Like it's like these people are, are almost like, you know, acting out their worst impulses on the show, but that's what we're sort of, that's why we love watching it, right? Is like, Oh, they're kind of being shitty to each other. Let's see like how shitty they could be to each other in this situation. Right. It's like, Oh, that's not great. It's, right. <laughs> right. It's just, drama. it's just drama. And yet when we watch it and think like, Ooh, let's see how shitty they can be to each other. We're still taking in the information of how they're communicating. And then we do more, I think more often than we realize we will end up repeating either very similar or the same things that they've said. It influences us. Yes. And I would say, you know, it's good to cover the idea of social media as well, not just TV sure. media, be, partly because, I mean, that that has its own sort of set of problems, but very similar, like attention, uh, addiction, mm-hmm. drama as well. And just the way that like this very indirect way of communicating, like, hey, we're behind our screens, where the person's not sitting there right in front of us, right? Like people sort of kind of devolve, not everybody, but many people fall prey to their worst impulses to kind of like whatever it is like, Oh, you got to own the person or you're going to troll the person or you're going to mock them or, you know, especially a place like Twitter where it's like, you only have a certain number of words to do it. And then, you know, mm-hmm. and that doesn't enhance discourse. It, it doesn't even enhance our own psychology, our own ability to relate. It kind of can put us in a terrible mood. And I, I know you're, I'm, speaking in generalities, but you know, I, I, I do know what it's like to get kind of hooked by whatever online flame wars, shit shows, you know, trolls. Mm-hmm. It's not bringing out the best in me and how I want to communicate with each other. If I, if I succumb to that, and it's also not really doing any good for other folks. I mean, except for just generating this spectacle, right. Which is kind of a bummer. It really is kind of a bummer how, how we, we gravitate in that way. And um, if you kind of combine these things together, right, like this is not part of regular school curriculum. Our parents were just doing the best that they knew. They were just imitating their parents, Mm -hmm. right? And it wasn't like optimal. Some parents do a better job than others, but we just sort of model them and pick up on it. And then we're kind of fed all of this, these influences through, through media that are not really designed to make us good communicators. And then we wonder why the relational stuff gets so hard sometimes right and and now there's all kinds of weird bad like ghosting and i mean there's all kinds of weird habits that people have acquired in the the online world which we i think as a preview i think it would be good to talk a little bit about technology mediated communication as a as a perhaps an episode topic we focus on here on relational conversations thanks for bringing that in you're welcome so we've talked a little bit about ourselves kind of peppered throughout this conversation is there more you want to say or maybe since you know me really well do you think i should share with our listeners about our stories or should we just move into kind of giving them a preview of like what's to come on this feed i think i think a little a touch in on our stories is nice cool give people more of a sense of who we are and why we're interested in this work Right. It was like when we encountered it, it was like we kind of needed it. And then we got a whole lot out of it in our own very different ways. And then we made it our whole career. (laughs) (laughs) We made it into a career. So here we are. So Melody, what do you want folks to know about like what role relational communication has played for you and and maybe kind of like a little before and after type of thing, if you want to give us a snapshot or a story? Yeah, there's there's a key moment that I can really point to as kind of 
there was a before and there was an after in terms of my own development and my own relational awareness. Mm -hmm. And it was at a workshop at the Integral Center. It was my first time there. Mm -hmm. I had never been exposed to this work before. I didn't know what it was, Mm -hmm. but my older brother had started hanging out at the Integral Center. And certainly at the time, I I had just turned 21. I was a very, very loyal little sister. If my brother's doing it, I want to do it too. Yeah. And so I came to a workshop and it really, um, I, well, first of all, I really, I really didn't get it at first. It, it's a three-day workshop where it was a three-day workshop. And the first two days I was kind of walking around like, okay, this is cool and kind of confronting. I don't know if I like it. I do like it, but I don't know what I like about it. I don't know that I'm really getting much. Mm-hmm. And then it all shifted in a moment where really the first two days had been kind of teeing me up for this experience. And when I say the first two days, I don't, I, what I mean by that is all of the relational experiences I was having with people on those first two days. And then on the third day, I was in a small group with a facilitator and I said something and she paused me and she very simply repeated back what I had said. Mm. And it was something that when, when she repeated it back, it was as if I heard it for the first time, even though I was the one who had originally said it. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever reflected my own words back to me like that so that I could actually hear myself in a new way. And that moment radically altered the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that moment, you know, if I can maybe interpret and paraphrase and check it out if I'm accurate, like mm-hmm. is one of these moments where through revealing and listening and being reflected to kind of in the moment, you become more mm-hmm. aware of yourself. Yes. Uh, it's like, it's like you're, it's like there's this pattern or there's this way of being or a way that you've been relating with yourself or something like that in mm-hmm. your life suddenly comes to the surface in a moment in a conversation yeah. with somebody. And then you sort of maybe see it in a new way or you maybe even see it for the first time. And you're like, I didn't even know mm-hmm. that was kind of operating. And then now I know. Then I knew. Yeah. And then, I, and then I had choice around it to give a little more color to it. The, the, the thing I was talking about was my relationship with men. And not to go too deep into the weeds of the story, but I have a, I have a very complex relationship with my dad and he um, essentially stopped talking to me when I was about to turn 13, which has had all sorts of ramifications on my life. If you can imagine being a 12, 13 year old child, their, their dad is there one day and gone the next. That was a really monumental stain on my joy in life basically yeah and it really impacted how I approached men especially at you know by the time of this workshop I was in my now you know very early 20s and I was sexually active and I was really looking for dad's love in men and I didn't know that I was doing that I had no idea I just knew that I needed whatever man was around that I wanted their attention, I needed to make sure that I kept their attention by Mm -hmm. whatever means necessary. And 
I said something about that. I said something about, yeah, well, you know, if the, you know, I don't, you know, in this moment, it's actually amazing. I can't even remember what I said, which I think is really good in a certain sense because I've moved on from this moment. But, it, sure, you know, yeah. it was something like, well, you know, if, you know, if the guy doesn't seem like he really wants me around, but I want to be there, then maybe I would sleep with him or something like that. It wasn't quite that explicit, but it was in that realm. Yeah. And I just said it like it was nothing. And she repeated it back and it was like, oh my goodness. That's what I just said. That, that's how I'm doing relationship with myself in, in regards to men. I don't like this actually. I didn't know I was doing it. And now that I know I don't want to do it anymore. And it was so simple. All it took was her being present with me essentially. And now I think I have a really good relationship with men, not a hundred percent of the time, but who, who has a good relationship with anybody hundred <laughs> percent of the time. I have a loving, caring partnership. I've got great male friends. I also have great female friends, which is something I also didn't have at the time because I was so focused on mm -hmm. how men were seeing me. And if men wanted me around, I didn't really have a lot of female friendships. And now my female friendships are one of the things I value most in life. And, and the other thing is that I just really like myself now. I think I didn't really like myself then. I was just relying on men liking me to know that I was liked. Right. But now I don't care if they like me or not because I like myself. And that's just, it sounds, again, it just sounds so simple, but it's, it's so profound. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Melody. Yeah, you're welcome. I like hearing your story. Good. I like that you like hearing it. Yeah. And... That might sound perhaps a bit like a confessional to some listeners. And what I, what I want to say is like, I know you well enough to know that like, this has just been integrated into your life. And in a way it's not, it's not that charged. It's actually fairly easy for you to recall. Like you seem like almost matter of fact in the way that you tell it. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and I'm glad you said that because I have had this reaction before that mm -hmm. sometimes I'll make Facebook posts that might seem like a confessional. And then I've had people come up to me in Whole Foods and they say, thank you so much for your Facebook post. That was so vulnerable of you to share. And it's not, <laughs> it's not vulnerable. It's vulnerable if my mom were to listen to this, that feels vulnerable. But as far as just being able to talk about this aspect of myself and my history, I have done a lot of work around it. And I, and I, feel very comfortable sharing about it, especially in the hopes that it might inspire others yeah. to continue to build their relationship with themselves because it's just been so profound for me and for so many others. Yeah. And I want to encourage listeners to just notice how you feel hearing Melody's story. Like, oh, does it seem really vulnerable? Do you feel closer, more connected to her or, or what? Like maybe you feel something very different than those things. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your story. And if there's more you want to tell, especially as we start sharing more about meta relating and mm -hmm. where it comes from and how we got here, like feel free to interject and add some more color, some more flavor, another cool. anecdote, anything like that's totally welcome. All right. And then you were going to talk about you. It, it's, it's kind of funny. Like I think there's some limits as to like how well we can know ourselves. So, you know, this is just the version that I have today, but I do feel like I did uncover a lot and 
I mean, I think there's a few key attributes to my younger self that are relevant. Um, like one is I just was raised in a really expressive environment in the home. My dad's Italian. My mom's Mexican. There's a lot of hugging. You know, this it's, mm-hmm. it's, it was a nice place to be in that way, very warm and very friendly. But one of the things I realized was like being expressive doesn't necessarily mean you're that aware of your own emotions or aware of the impact you're having on other people. Uh-huh. You, it's almost like an unreflective expressiveness. So that was one element of my upbringing that was definitely part of what was going on. And that I think was kind of like I was expressive while being oblivious to my impact on other people. The other one was I was raised in a pretty strictly religious kind of background. So there was a lot of, uh, what do you call it, like, you know, piety or moralism, fundamentalism, right? Like living very strictly, which in a way, if you kind of internalize certain varieties of religious belief, it it turns into kind of making some sectors of the human experience wrong, right? Certain feelings are wrong. Certain thoughts are wrong. Like there's a God who can read your mind and like Mm -hmm. know that you're thinking bad things, this sort of thing. And there's like a lot of uh, shame and guilt that gets associated with that. And I definitely had internalized a lot of that kind of growing up. And the third big factor I think was having to do with like just my intellectual interests, right? I got very much into science and math. I became like the top science and math student in high school and went to school for engineering. You know, this is kind of was my interest, but like the social aspect of growing up was just didn't make any sense to me. Right. Or, and other sort of like subjects that didn't have like correct answers. <laughs> I had less interest in them. And I think the result of all of these things altogether was that like I was a pretty awkward guy. Like I, there was a mm-hmm. way that the social world sort of seemed like it didn't make any sense. I felt more affinity to adults or like, you know, getting the approval of adults, you know, rather than getting along with my peer group. I would get teased and it wouldn't make any sense to me or people would laugh and I wouldn't understand what the joke was. Uh-huh. Right. Like there's a lot of like, okay, something is happening. I don't understand what it is. I mean, even well into my twenties, I was like, okay, so people end up in intimate relationships somehow. I just don't know how that happens. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. it didn't make any sense. I know there was something that happened between point A and point B where people went from like not being together to being together. I just didn't know how that happened because I never experienced it for myself. And I knew myself well enough to kind of complain about some of this, like to friends. And I would sometimes get this advice, right? Like, uh, Oh, you'll, you'll figure it out eventually. Or, uh, sometimes it would be a little bit less friendly. Like if you, if you need somebody to explain this to it, you just don't get it. Right. And I'll be like, well, that's Mm -hmm. not helpful. Um, or just funny, like platitudes, like be yourself and be confident. And I was like, well, myself does not feel confident. So when I'm trying to be confident, I don't feel like myself, right? Like there's a way Mm -hmm. that this kind of doesn't 
kind of compute, right? There, there was a way that the, the social world felt like it kind of didn't make any sense. Yeah. Well, I didn't know you in this era of your life, but in having known you the last 10 years, I can imagine what you might have been like then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have had a lot of moments together of the past decade. Yeah. And uh, I, can, I can see through some of those moments how you might have been before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mainly today, I think back to that earlier version of myself and I kind of, well, in moments I have felt like embarrassed or something, but for the most part now, I just feel some sense of kind of compassion for my younger self. Like, oh, he just really didn't, he just didn't know any better. Totally. And like whatever it was, kind of social cues or social learning that the average kid was getting, I suppose, mm-hmm. through adolescence and college, he, he kind of was behind the curve. Totally. And he was just doing his best and didn't really realize. Yeah. Well, as you were talking, I definitely was having compassion for Younger Porch. That, that was the predominant feeling that I was having. Yeah. So there was a moment where I felt like, okay, I really want to learn this stuff. Like, and it, and it did kind of arise from some conflict and some pain I was experiencing around intimacy and you know, a, f- a friend of mine who was a guy and a woman we both liked and, and actually like I shared a lot about my feelings with this, this fella who was saying like, Hey, maybe you should do some relational stuff. And uh, he was, he was getting into nonviolent communication at the time, but we mm-hmm. actually did like, um like a simulated kind of a scenario practice where he pretended to be my friend, but talk to me in an NVC sort of way. And it was one of these aha moments where I was just like, I can remember where I was. And it was like tears came streaming down my face. And I was like, it was like, I saw the ways I was like, almost like desperately trying to manipulate my friend so that I would not feel rejection. Mm -hmm. It was like a weird indirect thing, but like, yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, I don't want to be that guy. Right. I would want my friend to do what he wants. Right. And like, I don't get to boss people around like him or this woman. And if they're interested in each other, like my feelings are my feelings. I don't get to like try to make them behave in a way where my feelings just don't get hurt. Right. But a lot of that was coming from a lot of the unresolved, unprocessed kind of hurt feelings I had had from my past. So I could sort of see why I was trying to do that. But it was like, boom, like in a moment where I was like, I could just sort of see these kind of like you were saying, like this kind of meta thing or like a pattern that had been kind of ongoing. And I was like, oh, wow, that is a thing that I do Mm -hmm. as a way that I relate with myself. It was kind of trippy. Yeah. So we both had an aha moment early on in our relational work. Totally. And I think something else that's interesting is that we both had issues in the social space Mm -hmm. for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. You had your growing up Mexican-Italian slash religious thing. For me, I grew up nomadically. I was the new kid every single year in school. Mm -hmm. And we both couldn't quite figure out the social space. Yeah. So 
that's kind of part of what we do, right? Like part of what we do is we reveal layers of more truth about ourselves or our past or what's going on in the present. And it might feel like a thing where it's like, well, I can't do that because dot, dot, dot. They're not going to like it or they'll run away. And sometimes it's sort of surprising. Like there's a bit of um, a reversal or like an opposite sort of thing happens. Like sometimes I'll point this out. Um, it's, it's like a f- really funny Seinfeld episode where, where George Costanza decides to do the opposite of everything he, his normal impulses are. Cause his belief is like, Hey, you know, I'm basically a, a miserable failure in life. So whatever I intuitively feel like do is, is wrong. So whatever I intuitively feel like doing, I should do the opposite. And <laughs> He walks up to this woman. He's like, well, I normally wouldn't walk up to this woman. Okay, I'm going to walk up to her. And he's like, okay, this is not something I would say. And he's like, says, um, my name is George. Uh, I'm out of a job. And I, I I live at home with my mom. And and the woman goes like, really? And then like, <laughs> for some episodes, he ends up dating her. And it's really, it's it's kind of hilarious. But there is something a little bit about that. Like, if, if, if you're, if your beliefs about the way things are in terms of the social world or the relational world are really fixed and you've never really questioned them. It can sometimes feel like you're sort of having to try to do something like the opposite of what your intuition tells you to do just to see what happened. And then oftentimes what will happen is like the opposite of what you expected to happen will happen. Mm -hmm. And, and it's like, Oh, wait a minute. And especially in this area of, you know, vulnerability i think this is why this term comes up a lot of times in this in this area brene brown she's another influence and she talks a lot about vulnerability we don't really realize sometimes that sharing the truth of our stories even though it might on some surface level say like well you know then i'm gonna sound like a a bad person or i'm gonna sound like a weak person or i'm gonna sound like a flawed person in some Mm -hmm. way and people aren't gonna like it Actually, oftentimes the opposite is true that like actually owning up to your shortcomings or your limitations or just revealing something that maybe is seems a little sensitive or vulnerable or it takes some courage to share, right, will actually endear you to people and you'll experience connection. And you might be like, oh, wow, that's that's fascinating. That's not really what I expected. And these sort of like personas that we present in the social world like you know oftentimes it's like oh i'm trying to either be really impressive so people really like me or give me what i want or i'm trying to kind of like blend in and be nice and not rock the boat at all so that like nobody will be mad at me for anything right these are often two strategies that most people are familiar with in one context or another those things are kind of deadening right they're not the real you it's kind of funny. Like I, I, I thought about, you know, how I was sometimes at social gatherings. I would be like, oh, I got to like be the interesting guy with the interesting story oh, to tell. Like, oh, I heard on NPR this mm-hmm. or that. And let me share with you knowledge, you know, and and I would be interesting and impressive. But like it wasn't as connective and it was not until I kind of. This is that perspective taking kind of thought about like, well, how do I feel when I encounter somebody in the party let's say and they just keep on talking like saying interesting things and it just keeps on going like it might be cool for a bit and then after a while I'm like 
oh, that person's not really interested in me or they're really trying really hard or are they full of themselves? Like, I mean, what's going on? Like, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of a turn off in one way or another. Sure. It's like, oh, and then I was like, that's probably the impact I was having <laughs> by <laughs> trying to be so interesting all the time. You don't got to try for it. You're very interesting. Yeah, I suppose. Thanks. I'm glad you find me interesting. I do. So, you know, that's that's one sort of piece of my story was this way I tried to be impressive. And, and I want to bring it back to work also. Like, I think, you know, I really was like an overachiever growing up. And, you know, engineering school brings out really kind of this kind of intellectual kind of competitiveness. And, you know, going to work, it's like I wanted to be seen as really smart or innovative or impressive. And I could get the right answer. And I wanted to kind of like hide when I didn't know something or pretend like I did, even when I didn't, then then go figure it out afterwards. And, um, and other times too, I, you know, if there was like a disagreement about something, you know, the only thing that would occur to me is something like, okay, those, that person doesn't understand me. Mm -hmm. So the, the logical next step here is to explain myself again, or maybe like, you know, more rigorously or with more detail or more forcefully or something, right? It's like, no, 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 you just don't understand. Because if, and the dot, dot, dot sort of hidden belief was sort of like, well, if they understood, then they would just agree with me. Right. It wasn't really on my map that like, maybe they have a better idea or maybe they're aware of some stuff that I'm not taking into account. Like, why would I think I always have the best idea or the right solution or the best solution? Or maybe you're explaining it in a way that actually doesn't make sense to them. Sure. And I'm not taking the time to figure out how my explanation mm -hmm. is not working. Right. right. Like, totally. And if I if that's my, like, go-to strategy, just re-explain, but only harder this time, like, I'm going to kind of come across as kind of a a prick or arrogant. It'll sound like I'm kind of talking down to people. You know what I mean? Like, I, and I definitely had weird moments in my early career of, like, that kind of thing would happen and I would just be like, that's weird. You know, all I knew how to do was to sort of blame that person and be like, oh, this person is kind of a whatever. But, you know, there were a few moments where I was like kind of questioning myself. I'm like, okay, there's something, there's something that I'm doing here that's not working. I just don't know what it is, right? Or I don't know what to do about it. I don't even know, you know, it's like, it's confusing, you know? And like the, the, the situation was like uncomfortable enough that like I wasn't going to go to this person and go like, so what's really going on with you? Right. Cause I was already trying to keep my distance or create more distance. Cause it was so uncomfortable. I mean, I doubt that that was even an option on your radar. No, <laughs> didn't <laughs> right. even occur to me. Yeah. And I sort of wonder how often in the workplace, this kind of like missed connection happens, not because people are jerks. They just end up, acting in jerky ways because it's like a, I suppose it's a certain kind of like cognitive bias, right? So it's sort of, it's like the perspective is like, it's like, well, my perspective is my perspective. And so like, that's all I kind of know. And all I really know how to do is try to get people on board with my perspective in a way that like assures me that cool, my perspective is good or something. And then that, that's the only sort of social move Right. We're like sort of being being right is sort of the most important thing, you know, or at least that's how you kind of come across. It's like, oh, this person's sort of a know it all or this person is always trying to win arguments or this person is. And I think I was that person in some 
cases. And, and I think it was really limiting in terms of my mm-hmm. professional development sure. and career. You know, somebody might actually be really great at being an engineer at a tech firm. And then it's like, okay, cool. You're, you're actually such a great engineer. What we want you to do is manage this group of engineers. And the person's like, cool, this is the next step in my career. And then suddenly there's just so many people issues and communication issues that are part of the territory of managing engineers and like so much less technical stuff than you were doing. And you're kind of like, this is an entirely different thing, right? Like, It's an entirely different skill. It's an entirely different skill. Yeah. And then sometimes people get like, screw this. I want to just go back to being an engineer. I don't want to be a manager. I mean, I've known people who have done that particular pathway. And then I've known other people who kind of like embrace it and they go like, okay, right, this can be learned. And then they end up going through a phase of developing leadership qualities, the ability to give feedback effectively, the ability to manage conflict or to mediate conflict amongst team members. And it's like, all right, this is a kind of a facilitative skill. It's a very much a socially oriented skill. And yeah, this is where meta-relating kind of comes in. Whatever Mm -hmm. that growing edge is, the relational aspect or the social aspect to it can be cultivated. Yeah. I suppose the after picture for me is, I mean, I've just completely changed how I interact and relate with folks and then some different other ways I can express like some humility about my own point of view or curiosity about other people's point of view or if something is not getting across ways I can, you know, get curious about what's really happening here, ways I can create a shared understanding of where we're agreeing and where we're disagreeing without having to like be right or win or blame. Those are kind of two of the things that kind of come up very often that have relationships not go so well. Right. That's a, that's a big part of my story, my origin story for here. I mean, there's a whole lot more I could tell about intimate relationships, but I think I already referred to that. And yours was a great story about Thank intimate you. relationships that I really yeah, liked. I'm, I'm, I think one thing I want to say is that I, I wouldn't necessarily have chosen what happened for me with my dad, et cetera. And I don't know if you necessarily would have chosen having had those experiences in your earlier professional career. Mm-hmm. And yet I feel so grateful for them in a big way because I really like myself now. I really like you now too. You're one of my best friends and I definitely wouldn't have gone towards this work if it weren't for earlier challenging experiences that I had where I needed something like this because things were not going very well. Mm And if things had been going well enough, then I think my life would have been kind of well enough. And as it is, I think my life is fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Well, enough about us for now. Let's talk a little bit about what people can expect if they tune in for more relational conversations here with me, with you and me, with other guests. Great. So we're definitely not going to be able to preview everything, but I want to maybe do a couple of core topics. How does that sound? Sounds good. You know, one kind of core topic we, we've talked about here is like authenticity, mm-hmm. right? And the ways that expressing yourself authentically can feel risky or vulnerable. It sometimes takes courage and it can feel uncomfortable 
but oftentimes it creates more of what you want to have an experience in your life. And I think authenticity is not a complete picture, but it is a significant pillar in what we do. And I think, I think it'd be great to have a conversation with you where we really dig into that as a full on topic. I would love to have that conversation with you. And I also love that you mentioned vulnerability in basically the same breath as authenticity, because to me, they are so tied. I find it hard to have a conversation about authenticity without referencing vulnerability, especially where we're at now as a culture where it seems to me like there's a paradigm shift, especially in terms of leadership, where it used to be that people wanted infallible leaders. They wanted the guru. And now Mm -hmm. people want the person, want who has Mm -hmm. flaws and who has a past that is littered with mistakes or learning opportunities or whatnot. And that's what really, um, for me, I don't, I don't like working Mm -hmm. with people if they're not authentically kind of owning who they are. Totally. Yeah. And I want that for everybody. I mean, I think when we're authentic in our relationships, it makes for better relationships. I agree. And I think there's, I think there's also limits to this. I mean, this is one of the interesting things about any of these things. They can all become like too much of a good thing, right? If, if you're only focusing on authenticity and I want to be authentically Mm -hmm. self-expressed all of the time, right? You're missing out on some of the other important things like, like empathy, which is another big topic that we're going to cover, like your ability to both vibe with somebody and feel impacted by them and your ability to kind of take on their perspective and see things from their point of view, right? This is one of those things that, you know, a lot of people think of empathy as like a good thing and a good thing for relationships. And in a way it sort of stands not, not necessarily as an opposite of a, of authenticity, but as a kind of in a dynamic tension with authenticity Maybe in some ways. I think I'm authentically empathetic. A lot of the time. Sure. sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, this is rich territory. Like in what sense, sure. right? Like what do we mean the word authentic and the word empathy? In what ways can they coexist totally just fine? In what ways does it seem like a trade-off between the two of them? Sort of depends on what we mean by those words and how we experience those qualities. I love it. Let's record it right now. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, there's a whole lot more we can talk about um, in terms of, you know, relational practices, Mm -hmm. the kind of qualities of, you might say, character or virtue or capacities that we have that we can bring forward. And we, I think we kind of focus in on like, you know, common pitfalls and, you know, where ways, where and when sort of like, um, we go off track, like, you know, like too much of a good thing or that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Something that came up for me early on was maybe a little bit more of my story here as well was like, you know, if it was like personal growth, like, Hey, I'm gonna, you know, learn how to do the yoga sequence better, or I'm gonna, you know, meditate more often or longer, or I'm gonna, make my personal productivity system way more efficient. Like all of those things sort of seem like, okay, cool. That's a thing. It's kind of a meta skill. I can get better at it. It will make me a better person. It will make me more effective at the things I want to do in life, or it'll put me into a state where I'm just enjoying life and more fulfilled. 
And the idea that I could apply this same idea, like intentional practice and improvement in the areas of relationships, like I actually sort of found that idea offensive to begin with, Uh right? Like, wait, no, like I, people should like me for who I am. And like, I'm just compatible with some people and I'm not compatible with other people. And that's just the way that it is. And if I try to like get better at relating or relationships, then that's just going to mean I'm like, you know, getting better at manipulating people into doing what I want or Mm -hmm. something like who otherwise just wouldn't like me for me, who I already kind of am. It was a funny thing. Like I totally resisted. I even had friend, a friend who was like, Hey, have you looked into this stuff around like communication and dating advice or relationships or what? I was like, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I figure I was just like, you know, lose more weight or something. And then it just would all happen. (laughs) (laughs) It was a weird state to be in, like to, to be resisting the idea that relational capacities can be developed. So, so uh, maybe, you know, folks who are listening are encountering something like this in their own experience, right? Like the idea that applying growth or development or progress to the area of relationships, you know, they may feel comfortable applying those ideas in other places, but not in the area of relationships, right? That, that in of itself might be uh, something to dig into, something to kind of question. Yeah. Cause we hear, we believe it can be grow- developed and we're both examples of that having happened. Right. Well, I think that it's, it's absolutely valid if people listening are having that that idea or that fear come up mm-hmm. and what it reminds me of as you're speaking about it is um, I've had many art teachers over the years who have said everybody can draw if you can pick up a pencil mm-hmm. you can draw or same with voice teachers everybody can sing if you can talk you can sing and other students saying no I can't mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a terrible singer I'm a terrible drawer I can't do that my, look at my doodles. Listen how I sing happy birthday when it's my friend's birthday. Like, this is not going to work. Yeah. And it's just a matter of learning how to do it. And sure, some people probably have more natural affinity for it, like some of the people that you referenced earlier on that you would try to learn from and they would say, well, just feel it, man, or you'll know it when it happens, right? <laughs> they might have more of a natural affinity for it, but everybody can do it. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't mean anything about myself or where I was before, all it means is that I learned a new skill. I learned how to draw. I learned how to sing. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope this sounds good to a lot of people out there with this kind of down to earth, practical point of view, right? It's not magic, right? It's not suddenly like becoming some kind of charismatic person, although you might develop charisma or you some to somehow leave behind who you are and become somebody totally different. And you're like, I don't want to do that. Like, I mean, there are probably aspects of yourself that you will change and there's other aspects of yourself that you won't. But I think in the end, like the, the important parts of, of who you are and how you relate with yourself 
will remain intact. I mean, this is not a become a different person just so that people will like you because you don't think people like you right now or something. Well, I th- I think it's not it's not about becoming a different person at all. It's about it's about becoming who we really are in a sense. Yes. It's it's about removing the layers of history that we've carried around with us. Like in my story about my dad, I it wasn't that anything got added. It was that something got removed that I need to relate to men in this way, which I didn't have before the thing that happened with my dad. There's no reason I would have. So it's almost like returning to my true nature more than trying to become a different person. Totally. And if that sounds like a little too woo or a little too much, like you just got to feel it, then, hey, we have protocols, we have processes, we have step-by-step procedures. Systemic approach. we (laughs) We have a systemic approach and that's our way in with uh, meta relating and we'll talk a little bit more about these really particular aspects of it and how you can develop your relational skills here on this podcast. All right. Is there anything else we really need to say? I imagine I could do my own sort of outro. Do an outro. Maybe even a standard type of outro. Yeah. All right. Well, Melody, thank you for joining me for this conversation. It's been a real pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I enjoy uh, when we get to geek out about relational topics and we just got to record ourselves this time around. Which is amazing because as we joke about, we've had so many of these conversations over the years that I wish we had recorded and what a treat it is to get to actually do this with you now. Yes. And I want to invite those of you who have listened to us up until this point and feel interested in finding out more can find us at metarelating.com. Tune into this podcast feed, Relational Conversations, wherever you get your podcasts. And stay in touch. There's a lot more good stuff coming up. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs>